Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, we want to uh, continue our series called Thy Kingdom Come. Most of you grew up here good Catholics, C-A-D-L-I-C, Catholics. And so most of you grew up praying a prayer. We call the Our Father, or some people call it the Well, really, it was the disciples' prayer. I'm sure that when Jesus was praying, that isn't what he said in his entire conversation to his father. But he taught the disciples, and they prayed. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It was actually the disciples' prayer. So let's pray that together. Our Father, who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. For thine is the and the power forever and ever. Amen. I told you two weeks ago that every single person that's ever come to earth with the exception of one came from here. They came from earth. They came through a mother participated with by a father. But there was one person that came to earth that didn't come from here. He came from there. And that was Jesus. He was the only one who came. He was a visitor to earth from heaven, and he alone knew what heaven was like. So when he looked and he saw the fallen state of the world and how Adam and Eve had sinned and fallen in the garden and forfeited their authority for Satan to become the God of this world, In the garden, three things happened that God never wanted man to experience. They chose to sin and death came. God intended you and I to live forever. Do you know why we cry when you go to a funeral, even if it's somebody 90 years old? Because something inside of us says, it wasn't supposed to be this way. We were supposed to live forever. And so, When Adam and Eve sinned, death, hell, and the grave then became a reality. All things that God never wanted man to experience. And they ruled until Jesus came and defeated them. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the book of Revelations records, he said, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and in my hand I have three keys, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Why? Because what he was saying was, what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, of, in, in the garden he regained in the garden of Gethsemane when he agreed to go to the cross. Everybody with me? So do you know why you don't have to live in fear, guilt, and shame, which are the three net results of sin? Because Jesus defeated those. So you don't have to live with those controlling your life anymore. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose from the dead and his life is still a mystery. What's a mystery is that he was the most important person that ever graced the earth. And for the first 30 years, we know basically nothing about what he did. We know three events. We know number one, his birth. We know number two, when he was 12 years old, he went in and he was teaching and they asking questions among biblical scholars and they were blown away. And the third thing we know is that one time he went to a wedding, come on, a Cajun miracle, and he turned water into wine. See, people tell me that all the time. They go, pastor, pastor, Jesus turned water into wine. Why can't I drink all the wine I want? And you know what I tell them? You can. All the water you turn into wine, you can drink too. And they go, Pastor, we don't have to do that. I can go through drive-through daiquiri. They do that for me in a minute. Okay, that's a daiquiri. That's not wine. And so that's basically, think about this, the most important person that ever touched earth. We know three events about what happened in the first 30 years of his life, and those three events can be told you in 10 minutes or less in detail. 
But it was the last three years of his life that he began his ministry. The baptism by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit lit on him like a dove. God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And for the next 36 months, he began a training program that would revolutionize the world. Imagine that. Imagine you are going to do something that you actually believe is going to change the world. You're on earth for 33 years, but you only spend the last three years doing it. Well, what kind of a training? You can't even get a college degree in three years. Come on, how many got a college degree? How many of you did it in 15 years or less? <laughs> I mean, you, you have people that, I mean, that, Yet he did it in 36 months and the people that he chose, none of us would have chosen. As I mentioned two weeks ago, he went to Delcom to get most of his followers. <laughs> Come on now. I love folks from Delcom. My wife's family's from Delcom. That's, a, that's the original roots. The Bodwans are from Delcom. But how many geniuses do you know from Delcom? If you're here, I'm sure you're the only genius from Delco. <laughs> We're glad you're here. That's actually where Jesus began, and out of all of his disciples, only one had a prominent background. Guess what his name was? Judas. So much for prominence. And now, in these 36 months, he's going to do something that no one's ever done before. Well, there was one person that did it before, but that was only because of Jesus, and that was Lazarus. How many of you know Lazarus was raised from the dead? I, I would have liked to have known about the second funeral. How about you? <laughs> hey, baby, Lazarus died. I'm not cooking another roast for that. I did that last time and had to throw it out. I mean, who, who, <laughs> when was the second funeral? Yeah, you think I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. But there was only one person that actually rose from the dead and then ascended back to the place that he started from, and that was back into heaven. So watch this. He lived 30 years, said very little, taught not at all. He went to a 36-month training program with 12 of the most unlikely human beings imaginable, and then he died and rose again from the dead. And his final words, he left them, was found in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19. We talked about this last week. And Jesus came and spoke to them. He's risen from the dead. I don't know if you've ever been with people before they died, before they left forever. They call you to their side and, and they give you what is their most important wish or desire. We call their, their final wishes. Here is Jesus' final wish. Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, read it with me, all, all authority has been given to me in heaven. He had it before he came, but now on earth because he's defeated death, hell, and the grave. Now because of that, read it with me, go Go therefore and make disciples okay, of all nations. Now watch this. I, I talked to you a few weeks ago, and we talk about this often. But the first thing that the real gospel does, the first thing that this book actually does, this is the first message of Jesus, is that it breaks the power of prejudice. Right. Explain this. Jews actually believed that they were the only chosen people that have access to God. Matter of fact, Jews still believe they're the only chosen. Is that true? When Jesus rose from the dead, Jews who were so prejudiced, if you were walking down the street and you were not a Jew, a Jew would go, uh-huh. And it wasn't an issue of skin. So we try to make it an issue of skin. This isn't an issue of skin. Prejudice is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. Yeah. Yeah. 
Let me, let me explain this. The Protestants and the Catholics for about 40 years, actually for the last 2,000 years, have been fighting. In Northern Ireland, Catholics would blow up Protestants only for Protestants to go up and blow up Catholics. That happened for 50 or 60 years. Guess what color both of their skins were? White. The worst genocide that ever took place happened when millions of Jews were killed by Germans. What color skin were the Germans? What color skin were the Jews? White. In Rwanda, some of you have seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, one of the worst genocides of black humanity that's ever taken place. Millions were killed when the Hutus and the Tutsis decided they were going to be at war and one was in power and he literally annihilated millions. Guess what color both of their skin was? The first murder that ever took place was between Adam and Eve's children. One was Cain and he killed Abel. And not only did they have the same color, color skin, they were also kin. They didn't have a skin issue, they had a, a sin issue. You know what? I sit across from people who have the same last name and the same skin color all the time and try to get them just to keep talking to each other. And it's not a skin issue and it's not a kin issue, it's a, it's a sin issue. Man, if I was in a good African-American or Mexican church, they would have clapped right then. They may have been throwing me up in the air. Somebody would have been playing the mariachi bands. Do you see what I'm saying? Don't let society try to convince you that the narrow view they see things through right now, it isn't even honest, not only with, with, with the Bible, it's not even honest with history. It's sin. Man's problem is sin. And the more I deal with that, and the more I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a savior, then the more I realize what Jesus is about to tell his disciples, which is now all these people y'all hated and never talked to and gone around their cities, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. All those people you hated and wouldn't talk to, start going and doing to them what I've done for you for the last 36 months. Now, he said, make disciples. As I told you two weeks ago, most of you are sitting on trees. Oh, they are. This was a tree, the pew that you're in. Someone cut it and made a pew. So you're sitting on tree in cotton right now, colored cotton. That's what you're sitting on. But someone made it. Now you say, Pastor, why, why do you continue to say that? Well, 48 years ago, in a junior high school in the Mexican ghetto of Houston, they said, are there people here that want to give your life to Christ and be born again? If they are, raise your hand. The good-looking girl that I was with, her name was Dolores Carswell. She was half Mexican and half white. She, she raised her hand and she was the girl that promised me that if I went to the meeting, she would kiss me. <laughs> so all the kids that raised their hand, they broke up and sent them into different classrooms and there was almost a thousand of them. And so I waited for about 20 minutes and when I realized if I didn't go get her, I may never get my kiss. I literally went, knocked on the door and she was talking with an African-American counselor sitting there in this room with all these students that are now, you know, they've talked to them and prayed with them. They're now leaving. And I said, Hey, Dolores, time for us to go. You know what I want. And the African-American council was with her, looked up at me and said, Hey, I'm here talking to her about Jesus. Would you like to talk to me? And I went, uh, and as I've told you before, there may be a black or Mexican atheist, but I've never met them. Because if they are an atheist, they've never told their mother or their grandmother, or they would beat them till they saw Jesus himself. <laughs> Come on, Mexicans, we name our children Jesus. We name our children Jesus. 
There's more Jesuses in prison than anybody else today. More crosses, tattoos, you know that. And, and, and so just being respectful, I said, yeah, but we, we really got to go. And Dolores said, no, we don't. And, and he brought me there and he shared with me how I could be born again, how Christ died for my sin, how he could give me a new life, how I could become spiritually alive and be different than my family. And that day I prayed to be born again. Each weekend at our campuses in March, more than 200 people did that every weekend. And we celebrate that, and it's wonderful. But you know what that's like? Well, I, I know what it's like. How, how many of you have at least one child? Raise your hand. How many of you had a little party to announce to everybody you were having a child? Raise your hand. You, you know, now you have your little gender reveal party and everybody, yes, it's a boy. I mean, back, back in the day when, when we were having our first child, I mean, you, you, you didn't know you painted the pink and hopefully it was a girl. But, but now, you know, they have the gender reveal parties and you get all these little pictures of you and your stomach from the side, <laughs> little Instagram post, little guy standing there going, I'll put that baby there. I mean, it's, it's like... You get all, all of this stuff that people do now. How, how many, older people, how many of you know I'm talking about? They put more effort into that than we ever did in every birthday party we ever got for 20 years. And so everything is set up, and then and they're all excited, and everybody's so fired up, and the first baby's going to come, and they've got the little stuff and the little, the little guest list and all the little friends and everything, and it's perfect, and then the baby comes. You know, when women are having babies, they say some stuff. Amen. Here's one man who needs marriage counseling right here on the front row. <laughs> I, I remember one time, literally, I remember one time I felt so bad for Michelle. We had our children at home with a midwife. And one time she took a Tylenol. That's a real Cajun woman. And I remember holding her hand going, baby, I'm so sorry. I will never do this to you again. I lied. I'm just going to confess it. I lied. That's, I did say that, didn't I? So I will never do this to you. I felt so bad. When Jacob Jr. came, it was all everything. It was that we didn't have the gender reveal, but we had all the other little same little stupid stuff that y'all have. Okay, now watch this. Listen. Do you know what it was like when we had our last child? I mean, the first one, you had 47 outfits. You had, you know, every little Feltman this and little LSU and the Saints and UL. I mean, the last one came. It's like they got their sister's chest of drawer. They got their brother's. The room was pink and blue and orange. And you know why? Because we were exhausted from raising those first ones we had to party from. Because now we were getting up in the middle of the night, changing diapers, cleaning up throw up. A virus comes through. Remember when they were young and a virus came through and everybody got it? You could just put a sign on your house, diarrhea if you walk in. <laughs> everybody had it. Okay, you know, if you wanna throw up, walk in here. How many of you remember those days? I mean, I remember them. I remember, listen, can two, I had two or three highlight moments in my life. One is when they got out of diapers. I should have bought stock in Pampers. I mean, here's the second one. No more bottles. Here's the third one. You can go into a restaurant and not lose your salvation or threaten to take away theirs. You sit in there and go, so help me God, I am a pastor, but I will kill you when we get home. Daddy, you can't say that, you just preached. I don't care, I don't have to preach till next week, I'll repent. Daddy, you're cussing, it's not a curse word, it's in the Bible, shut up. up. That's not true. That's not true. Really, kind of. 
if you think it is still the same thing you're saying. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Why? Because making babies is fun, but raising them is really, really hard. And every time someone raises a hand and we say, 20 people were born again today and everyone celebrates. That's the making of the baby. But from that point on, discipleship is the raising of the baby. Let me ask you a question. When you, what would the survival rate be if babies were born, the parties had, and you left the hospital but without the child? Tragically, spiritually, that's what happens so many times with people's spiritual journey. Oh, I gave my life to Christ. I raised my hand. I prayed. And that's wonderful. And that's the beginning of your journey. But it's only the moment of you being born. Then comes the journey of you becoming a follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, and I'm, those of you, my note, my note folks, Please go back to one. I want to use a verse there on page one. Don't worry. I don't have that many notes. 37 pages is not that much. Okay. John 8, 31 and 32 says it like this. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who claimed to believe in him and said, if you, what? Stick with this. What's the next part say? Living out what I tell you. You are what? my disciples, then you will experience for yourself the truth and what will happen? Then the truth will set you free. The King James says, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed and you will know the truth and truth will make you free. Why? Because when you start in this word, it starts cutting on you. It starts addressing your life. It starts addressing your thoughts. It starts addressing your money. It starts addressing your mouth. It starts addressing your friendships. It starts addressing your relationships. And at that moment, you're going to have to decide, am I going to give up the path? Or am I going to give up my flesh? One of them has got to die. The word or my old ways? One of them has to die. And as much as we despise abortion, I'm afraid sometimes we might be guilty of many spiritual abortions. Where people are born, but we just leave them there on their own, floundering. So today, I want to talk to you about the Ten Commandments of Discipleship. This says I have six minutes and 54 seconds. The devil is a liar. Okay, are the saints playing today, Pastor Chris? Wow. You have a Saints Super Bowl ring, you don't even know if they're playing today? Are they playing today? At five? A bye week. Oh, I can preach all day. Thank you. God bless y'all. We're going into overtime. Here it is, real quickly. In the next 10 minutes, let's go through this real quickly. I want to call the Ten Commandments of Discipleship. Number one, God not only <clears throat> drew you to himself through someone, the person that led you to Christ, he gave you to others. Let me explain that. When a child is born, everyone's there to celebrate, but somebody's got to raise the child. Somebody has to raise the child. Someone has to help that child grow up and become what God wants it to be. That's the work. When you're born again, God joined you to a group of people. If you were born again in this church, if you were born again in this place, if someone brought you, there's someone that God has divinely brought to model his spiritual truth into your life. It's, it's not an accident. Number two, Jesus did not call his disciples only to listen to him, but also to be with him. Listen, 
I believe in Christian counseling. We've gone through Christian counseling. Michelle and I have gone through extensive grief counseling. We've gone through all kinds of different, we are equipped. We believe in that with all of our heart. But look at me. Discipleship is not a one hour session once a week or once a month. How many of you have children? Do they do everything you tell them to do the first time? Uh Uh-huh. Why? You taught them? As a matter of fact, I love to tell parents, every time you see a 17, 15, 16, 17-year-old young man or woman walk up, look at someone in the eye, and take them by the hand and go, hello, my name is John or Joseph or, or Mary. Good to meet you. What you just saw displayed in 15 seconds, some parent has beat into their behind for 15 years. They have. That's called discipleship. Discipleship. That is what we are called to do. We are called actually to replicate our lives in the lives of other people. Number three. In discipleship, you reproduce in others what you are yourself. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have stuff about your life you don't like? Then change it before you reproduce it in your children. The Bible gave a biblical principle from the beginning in in the garden. Everything will reproduce after its own kind. After its own kind. Look right here. If you are going to be a disciple maker, then you yourself must first practice. You're called to be a pattern, a model, a cookie model. When you take it, you go, this is what this is what it looks like when you do it God's way. That's exactly what Jesus was doing with his disciples. Number four, your ability to give correction and instruction and reproof and rebuke will determine the quality of the people you disciple. Let me let me explain all of this. Because it's really important. Most people don't learn the first time. The first time is instruction. The second time is correction. The third time is reproof and rebuke. We live in a generation, I grew up, where everybody got spanked. How many of you got spanked growing up? Raise your hand. How many of you didn't get spanked? You got whooped. Raise your hand. How many of you got beat? Raise your hand. How many ever got hit with an extension cord? Raise your hand. How many ever got hit with a broom? Raise your hand. How many got hit with anything but a belt? Raise your hand. I love y'all. We all been abused. Thank you. But can I tell you something? Maybe your parents did it the wrong way, but what they were trying to do is put temporary pain on you now so you wouldn't live in long-term pain later. Listen to what Proverbs says about this. Proverbs 1.5 says, the wise will hear and increase their learning, and the person of understanding will acquire wise counsel and the skill to steer his course wisely and lead others to truth. Proverbs 1.7, the reverent fear of the Lord is that is worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome is the beginning, a preeminent part of knowledge. It's the starting point. It's the essence. Read this with me. But arrogant... Fools, what? Despise skillful and godly and, and do you know that's telling you who's a fool and who's not? A coach yells at you now and it's called child abuse. I remember when a coach would grab you by your face mask and lift you four feet off the ground. You didn't need a chiropractor, you got completely adjusted. How many of you remember those days? Raise your hand. And you walked out and you said, yes, sir. A coach raises his voice to a kid. There's a lawsuit in there in counseling for two years. It's because they don't understand anything about the issues of correction. Proverbs 122, fools hate knowledge. Let me tell you how you can tell. You ever start telling someone something? They go, oh, I know. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. No, if you knew, I would not be telling you. Fool. You might have heard it, but the word know means to become intimately acquainted with so that it affects your lifestyle. 
That's what he's talking about. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples. Indeed. Let me just stop right here one moment. I'm not saying once you're born again, you're a child of God. You die, you're going to heaven. But if you want life to be heaven on earth, you're going to take the principles of this book right here and apply them to your life. Or you might not go to hell, but you might live through hell now. Proverbs 15, 31. Accepting constructive criticisms opens your heart to the path of life to make you right at home among who? Refusing constructive criticism shows you have no interest in improving your life. For revelation insight only comes as you accept correction and the wisdom that it brings. Stop. How well do you receive correction? You know what I love about Michelle? She's soft and kind and beautiful. You know what I hate? (laughs) When her voice sounds like the Holy Spirit's voice. (laughs) Baby, baby, are you sure that's what you want to do? Did you really mean that when you said that? Do you really think? Like I wish she would do it hard. Because then I go, she's in the flesh. She's just mad. But the package God gave her wraps it up in a way that it's almost irresistible for me to receive. Because it's someone that loves me the most telling me at that moment what I need to hear the most. That's why she's called a helpmate. Because we need Oh, come on, the women are going, we need, I need a hunt lease, Pastor. I need to get out of here. Okay, number five. Your willingness to speak the truth in love proves your love for those you disciple. Listen to what Proverbs 27, five and six says. It's better to be corrected openly if it stems from hidden love. You can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty. I can tell you right now, God is telling you in his word who you can trust. Someone who's willing to lose their relationship with you versus watch you lose something that you can never regain in the future. Our pastor in Destin, Florida, Pastor Steve Agalis says it so well. He says this, you need someone who knows you, K-N-O-W-S, who can say N-O to you. No. How many of you think I probably have a strong opinion about stuff? I can't believe y'all feel that way. And I'm a pretty strong leader. We got married. I was Michelle's youth pastor. She was 18. I was 23. I've been her pastor most of her life. So whatever Jacob said was the law, and I like that. It was right, and I loved that. And then she grew up. And the party was over. And she saw I was just flesh and blood and just a normal Mexican, a foot taller than the average one. And there are times when, how many think, let me just go ahead and answer this because I know that some of y'all wonder. How many of you wonder if me and Miss Michelle ever argue or have a fallout? Raise your hand. Okay, let me answer that. Yes, Yes, sometimes she doesn't see things like she should. (laughs) (laughs) And when we have a disagreement, and I say, well, baby, I I mean, I think this is what, and she'll go, well, I think I'll just call Pastor Jim, our pastor, and I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, I go Rodney King. Why can't we just all get along? I mean, baby, listen, there's no need to pick up the phone and do that. How many of you ladies have ever threatened to call Pastor Jacob? Call me. Literally. Do you know why? Because no matter who you are, every one of us here, one step away from stupid. And if you don't think you are, you're already stupid. You already stepped that way. 
You can trust a friend who wounds you with honesty, but the enemy's pretend flattery comes from insincerity. Real friends that really love you, that'll really tell you what you need to hear. Number six, your ability to receive correction will determine the kind of disciples you produce. Many of us want everybody to listen to us, but we don't want to listen to anybody. I'm 62 years old. I know y'all are shocked. Thank you. 40 is the new 60. Who said that? I just did. Do you know that I have never in 48 years ever not done what my pastor told me to do who led me to Christ when I was 14 years old? He's been very gracious to me because he'll say, Jacob, here's my opinion. But when he says, Jacob, this is what God wants you to do, it's a done deal. You say, well, Pastor, what, you, you, I mean, you, you're a grown man. Why would you do that? Because I have 60 years of history that tells me, left alone to myself, I've made some pretty stupid decisions. Well, you say, well, I hadn't had that. That's because you're 50. You have 50 years of showing you about the same thing. Number seven, Jesus never gave his disciples preaching lessons and healing lessons. Isn't that interesting? Jesus tells them to go preach to God, and he never even told them how to preach a message. He just showed them. He just showed them. Go and do to other people what you've seen me do. He never, ever, ever gave them a preaching lesson or a healing lesson. Do you know one time Jesus healed a person that was blind? You know what he did? He hocked up a loogie, spit in the mud, and rubbed it in the eye. Wouldn't that be a great Bible college course? How to spit like Jesus. The spitting image of I mean, Think of all of the different titles for that class. Jesus simply did it and they observed and he expected them to model what he did because what Jesus modeled, he meant. Number eight, understand the revelation of divine joining. Now, I'm, I'm just, this is so important. Give me two minutes in this point. Two minutes. How many of you were born again at this church? Raise your hand if you were born again here. Goodness gracious, life. Praise God. Praise God. Whoever God uses or wherever God uses for you to be born again, there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason. I've had the same pastor who's like my daddy for 48 years. Do you think I've ever disagreed with him? Yes. I really disagreed with him when I was young. Y'all might not believe this, but I used to be young and good looking before I got old and haggard raising all my children. My kids told me, Daddy, you need to dress cooler. I go, I used to be cool, but now I'm paying for you to be cool and I can't afford both of us to be cool. And all the parents said, Amen. Amen. One of my sons told me one time, he goes, Daddy, why do you drive that old car? I said, so you can drive that new one? He goes, oh, thank you. Because <laughs> you, you know the story of life. Either you sacrifice for your children or you sacrifice your children. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But in 48 years, that man, I can't tell you I started preaching when I was 14 years old. Like, I was 14. I led two spiritual awakenings on my campus before I graduated from high school. I got to speak to my whole public school and share with them what Jesus did in my life and got a standing ovation afterwards. I was so unintelligent in school. I didn't have enough credits. I didn't, I mean, 
my principal loved me so much. He gave me credits because he loved me. And then he called other schools when I graduated from high school and said, you need this young man to come speak in your school. And I have the letters to this day that Garland Bullock wrote that got me into public schools, which ultimately ended up being almost 3 million students in public schools. So, so listen, I can't tell you how many times my pastor told me stuff I didn't want to hear, especially when I was single, because I used to be young and good looking. I'd bring a girl around. What do you think about her? He goes, son, you walk around in puppy love, you're going to end up leading a dog's life. I'm like, that's rough. <laughs> I mean, he would always tell me stuff. And like, I, so I would come back from speaking somewhere at some church youth group and I'd come back and I'd go, how was it? i go, they said they've never seen anybody like me. They said they've never seen anybody my age who, who just spoke and that God was using them. They said, I'm the most amazing thing they have ever seen. And he would look at me and go, you're so proud. I can't even believe God doesn't kill you right where you stand. And I'd go, what? Everybody tells me how amazing I am and how wonderful I am. And then you just correct me. He had big 18-inch arms. He actually still does to this day. He's almost 80, and he'd reach over, and he'd hug me, and he'd put his arms around me and say, Jacob, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Son, I am telling you this now to keep you from being lifted up in pride so that you can finish your journey later. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm like 140 pounds, six foot two. And he'd go, put your arms around me. I'm up in my room. You. Put your arms around me. I'm not. Okay, what you say? I'm not doing it. So he said, well, then we're not leaving. After about five minutes, I'd go. And a tear would come here. And another one would come here. And then I'd just start sobbing and throw my arms around him. Today, I am what I am by the grace of God. And because of that man never quitting or never giving up and never stopped telling me what I needed to hear. What I need to hear. Look at me. You won't be either. You need a revelation that when God brings somebody to you, it was God that brought them to you, not circumstances. And when you get that revelation, then you begin building relationally. Building relationally. And there are people like that. Ken Myers, who was here in the early service. Dr. Ali, who sits here right here. And many men and women, all Kyle, many people all throughout. Chris Reese. Chris Reese came here. He's flashing his Super Bowl ring, came to wave and sign autographs. God spoke to me and said, you're called to be a pastor and you're called to be here and we're going to equip you. And he's like, I'm from Hotlanta. Not Hotkaniana. But as he embraced that role, look at what God has done. My friend Mike Donner, who I see right here, I remember sitting across from him. Pastor, I just need you. He said, show me, teach me. And I could go from person after person that's in this room and it doesn't have to be me, but we wrote this book right here so that you could take someone on this journey. It doesn't matter if they have to be here, do it at your office, do it at your workplace, do it with the next door neighbor. The real joy, the real fun is watching Jesus use people that are as dumb as the disciples were. That's discipleship. I am so grateful that this book is filled not just with stories of Jesus preaching the messages, but when he pulled Peter aside, when Peter goes, Lord, everybody's going to leave you. You don't have to worry about me. I got your back. Yeah, way back. And this place records where he said, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, that alarm clock, you're going to deny me three times. 
I'm so grateful that that's there. I'm so grateful that when he rose from the dead, the disciples had given up the ministry. They'd gone back to fishing. And they came after not catching anything all night. And Jesus said, from shore, he had a little fire and some fish. And he said, have you caught anything? And they said, nothing. And he said, cast your net on the other side. And the big mouth, the denier. The one who was now condemned by what he said, they threw the net out and they started pulling and fish started to jump out. And Peter said, it's Jesus. It's the one I betrayed. It's the one I pursued. It's Jesus. And if you read this story, he was basically naked. He threw on his drawers and swims to shore ahead of everybody else. I'm so grateful that that's there because God's not looking for perfection among anybody, but he's looking for people who will not quit pursuing him regardless of what circumstances that you find yourself in. No matter how many times you fail that you just get up one more time that you fall to become all that God wants you to be. That's discipleship. You say, Pastor, why don't people do this? For the same reason so many people produce children but never stick around to raise them. It requires your life. It requires your life. I've been with a lot of people before they passed away. (laughs) Do you know none of them ask to see how much money they have in the bank? You know what they want? Because indeed, that is the investment of their life. It's the investment of their life. That's why we wrote this book. That's why we want you to go back, purchase this book. It's five bucks. Do you know why we call it one five bucks? Because we want you to have an investment in it and we want the person that you invest in to know they've been invested in. We could give them all away. We don't have a money problem. But we want it to be a priority for you and a priority for the person you invest in. You might want to go through this with your young, with your children, your teenagers. Just start somewhere. Because that Jesus that went up into heaven and said, go into all the world and make disciples, I got a strong feeling that when he comes back, <laughs> he might look at you and me and say, did you did the last did you do the last thing I told you to do? I told you to go and make disciples. Did you do it? Did you do it? Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for these amazing people. Thank you for the grace of God that carries all of us through our shortcomings, our failures, our disappointments of ourselves and others. Thank you for the grace of God that allows us to not quit, to not give up. Thank you for the people that you put in our lives that are gifts from you. They're gifts. They're imperfect because they're people. They're imperfect because they're people. But thank you for the people that have loved us enough to share your truth, to be spiritual anchors in our life, to be people that you brought into our lives for us to build with, to teach us to know you. Today, Raise up an army of disciples out of our Savior's church. An army. An army. An army. Starting with every family. Build a spiritual family here. People that are more committed and connected to others than they are family that don't even know you. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, how do I do that? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. 
B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer and that he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Somebody's going to die for your sin. Either he did or you will. See, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. I may have been christened or baptized. I want today to be my spiritual birthday. If Jesus himself said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven or enter into the kingdom of heaven. The answer to that question is the most important question of your life. But if you want to pray today, right at your seat, to be born again, to begin your spiritual journey, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. No one's looking but me. I'm going to count to three at the end of three. If that's you, if that's what you'd like to do, if you'd like to begin your spiritual journey today and be born again, I'm going to ask you to real quickly raise your hand up high and put it back down. Then I'm going to pray for you. One, God brought you here. Nothing's an accident. Two, the people that have invested in your life brought you all of those seeds sown into your life. All culminate right now today for you to begin your spiritual journey, being a born-again child of God. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Pastor, pray for me. I want to be born again. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six. Anywhere else? Seven, eight. All right. Nine, I see that. Okay, you can put your hand down. Last 10 seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these nine, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know God's talking to me. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise it and wave it at me right now. I'm waving just for you. Wave it at me. Yes. Ten. All right. Now let's pray out loud, church. We're going to join you, those of you that raised your hand. Let's pray out loud together for all those that raised their hand to be born again today. Let's pray out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name, amen.